0: couple more people in here than there were when we got started, so so glad that you are here. Now we've got some that are out today, out of town, or sick, or recovering, or whatever the case might be, but we're so glad that you're here. So this morning we are continuing our sermon series, In the Beginning, God. Over the past several weeks we have looked at how God is the creator of all things. In fact, we have read together Genesis 1-1, so let's read this together this morning. You ready? In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything. He spoke all things into existence. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God's Word makes it clear, doesn't it, that God is, God was, and God always will be. So this morning what we're going to do is we're really kind of um, looking at part two of our message from last week. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to hone in on verses 18 through 25 a little bit more this morning. Our title happens to be our closing point from last week, A Marriage Made in Paradise. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at 18 through 25 together. Our message point is God ordained marriage with the first of his children creation. If you recall from our message last week, I asked the question, do you believe it is possible for someone to have a perfect marriage? And then I asked the question, how many of you in this room have a perfect marriage? And believe it or not, there were actually some that raised their hand in both services. There were actually, um, I believe, two men in this room. Maybe there was one man in this room and two in the other room, um, but he's not here today. So I don't know if his wife got a hold of him, and um, he is still trying to recover from that or what the, what the deal is. But I, I'll mention um, to you his name, Tom Griffin. Um, Terry Russell was one, and Jim Clements was the other. Um, in fact, Terry um, on Wednesday told me that his marriage is no longer perfect because I guess he and Debbie were rearranging furniture in the house, and I guess that, that's all it took. some of you can relate to that, can't you? Here's the reality. There's never been a perfect marriage. There's one in its infancy that was absolutely perfect, and we're going to look at that marriage between Adam and Eve this morning. Notice our first point. God foresaw Adam's need. So beginning of verse 18, we read, and we're just going to kind of break this passage up as we go through it this morning, but in verse 18, we read, then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the first thing that we see here is the Lord making the declaration that it was not good for man to be alone. Even before the Lord would create a desire within Adam's heart, God already made the declaration that Adam and his singleness was not Good Solomon would declare in Ecclesiastes chapter four, two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fail, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm? And though a man alone, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So our good God had a good plan, didn't he? God recognized that it was not good for man to be alone, so he would create a helpmate in the person of Eve. Notice our second point. God fostered Adam's need. In verses 19 through 20, we read, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So even before Adam knew he needed a partner, God would foster within his heart a desire for a wife. In fact, he would do this by parading every one of the the animals before him, the beast of the field, the livestock, the birds of the air. And two by two, they came, male and female, they passed in front of Adam, and Adam would give every single one of them a name. But at the conclusion of naming all of those animals, Adam would be left wanting, Whitney. He would be left with an emptiness in his life, having recognized that each of the animals had a partner, but he did not. Woman, what we know, completes man, doesn't she? Not only would she do this physically, but in Eve, Adam would get a helper. Men and a wife, we have found the greatest earthly treasure that we could receive. She's a gift from God, just like you are a gift to her. Now, women, you've got a complex creature in your husband. I'm going to be the first one to tell you that. He tends to grunt. He tends to complain. He tends to stink a little bit, Larry. Um, he tends to be a bit of a baby at times. I love what David Dyke shares. He says, ladies, I realize that sometimes it's so hard to understand men. Since I am a man, let me help you a little bit. You need to understand what your husband really means when he says something. When your husband says, this is really a good movie, we're about to see it means this movie has a lot of guns, lots of explosions, lots of fast cars, and zero romance, When your husband says, honey, take a break, you're working awfully hard, what he means is that noise that you're making is keeping me from being able to enjoy my game. When he says, I just cut myself, but I'll be okay, what he means is I just severed an artery, but I'm never going to admit that I need some help. When he says, you look great in that outfit, what he really means is this, stop trying on the outfits, I'm hungry, let's go eat. Some of you can relate to that. Now, men, we got a beautiful woman in our wives, didn't we? But we also got an equally complex person. Dr. Alan Francis wrote a book called Everything Men Know About Women. Anybody read that book before? Here's a copy of the, the cover of that. Um, I actually went out, or didn't go out, I actually got online and I ordered this book this week, and it was supposed to be here yesterday, but guess what? Didn't show up. Um, but I, I, I read enough of this book to realize that I know about the same that I knew then about women that I know now. Um, there was a, There's a little bit of a, um, some, some critic down at the bottom with the Daily News wrote, fully reveals the shocking truth. This book is a hundred plus page book. It'll cost you $6 if you order it on Amazon. It says here, international bestseller, millions of copies sold. Here's a problem with this book. You open it up and there's zero content on the pages. It is a 100-page empty book. So when you get that book, man, you're going to know just as much about a woman as you did when you started. Psychologist Sigmund Freud wrote, despite my 30 years of research into the feminine soul, I've not yet been able to answer the great question, what does a woman want? I hope that y'all can help with that. Peter would write these words in 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That verse right there tells us a lot, doesn't it? A woman would say, if you would just listen to me, you would understand me. If both a husband and a wife would spend more time communicating with each other, we would probably know each other much better. The reason there are struggles within a marriage is because when you have two sinners that commit to do life together, you're going to have some issues. For a marriage to work, you have to work at it. One Christian marriage counselor said, the only thing I've ever seen will make a marriage last is that the couple wants to be married to each other more than they want to divorce. Again, in Ecclesiastes 4, we read, two are better than one. Let me say this. I know that we have many within our faith family that find themselves single again, and some of you in this room can relate to that. For some, this singleness is re- recent. For others, you're, you lost your loved one several years ago. A message like this is difficult. And, and one, on, on, on one hand, you can relate to the ache that Adam experienced. You also can relate to the joy of doing life um, with a companion. I don't know if you will remain single or if you even have a desire to marry again. But what I do know is that in your singleness, the Lord is enough. His presence is enough. Jesus would tell all of humankind before he would ascend um, to take his rightful place next to the Father in heaven. He would say these words, I am with you always, to the end of the age. The Lord would tell Moses in Exodus 33, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Some in our church are young and single. Some, as Paul did, may desire to remain single. Both states are equally valued in the eyes of God. But regardless, give your singleness over to the Lord and ask him to meet the desires of your heart. Notice next, God fulfilled Adam's need. So in verses 21 and 22, we read, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. You know, God did not create man or woman like he created man. Man was created from the dust of the ground. But woman would be created from the side of man, from his rib. If there was no other reason to disbelieve that you and I went from goo to you, it would be the creation of a woman. No amount of random chance could have ever formed such a beautiful, complex individual as a woman. Can I get an amen? Men, can I get an amen there, Larry? There you go, Larry. We are told that Eve... Was created from the rib of man. Almost every wedding that I perform, I share words similar to the words that Henry, um, Matthew Henry wrote in his commentary. Uh, Matthew Henry was a 16th century pastor and theologian, but he wrote these words Woman was created from the rib of man, not from his head to top him, neither from his feet to be walked upon. She was made from his side to be equal, from beneath his arm to be protected by him, from very near his heart to be loved by him. In Eve, God created an equal, didn't he? Ladies, you have been created equal. You are an equal of your husband, and you have equal value in the eyes of God. Don't let anyone tell you differently. We are equal, but we are equally different, aren't we? It's okay that we are different. God made us this way, and it's equally okay to recognize what the Word of God says about gender, what it says about gender roles and the role of man and woman in the house as well as in the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, we read that it's God's design that the man should be the head of the home. In Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, we read, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You know that word, Submit is a word that has been turned into a a dreaded kind of curse word when it comes to those outside the church, and even within the church today with the feminist movement. But the word of God is clear here wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This verse is often abused and taken out of context, isn't it? Please know a woman is not subservient to a man. They are not to be pushed around, walked upon, or dictated to. The woman is an equal in the eyes of God and a co-laborer with their husband within the home and outside the home. The Bible is careful to define headship to Christ as the church. The headship role is best fulfilled when the husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Think about Jesus the creator of the universe. Jesus spoke all things into existence. We read of that in in Genesis 1 in John 1 and throughout God's word. The creator of the universe left heaven full of all of its glory and came to this earth and he took on flesh. The king of the universe did not come and rule as a king, did he? When Jesus came, he came as a servant. In fact, we read in Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is what a leader looks like. That's what it looks like to lead the home well, men, as well as to lead within the church well. It doesn't mean that we're to lord ourselves over anybody. Jesus didn't do that, and he was the Lord of all creation. He came as as a servant. And the best way we can model leadership is by serving, isn't it? Men, lead your families well. Lead them to Jesus. Point them to Jesus. Teach them about Jesus and disciple and equip your family. Women, ladies, mamas, grandmas, be a co-laborer. Lead and study and disciple and equip your kids and grandkids and the church kids well. Notice next the foundation of marriage. In verses 22 through 25, we read, "...and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and shall be called woman." because she was taken out a man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. In Eve, God created the most beautiful woman to ever walk the face of the earth. She was a perfect, sinless, beautiful woman. And what we can learn from the marriage of Adam and Eve is is. Is is critical to our own marriage. The first thing that we can learn is marriage involves affection. We read again um, in the latter part of verse twenty two and twenty three that God brought her, brought Eve to the man. Then the man said, "This is this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man." When Adam took one look at Eve. He did did not just look and walk away, did he? Um, One writer says what we actually have here is a strong Hebrew exclamation in the writing of this. These words don't capture the spirit of what Adam said. Um, This writer goes on to say that, that when Adam took a look at Eve, he probably said something like, ooh la la. You know, he probably, when he looked at her, he didn't just say woman. He probably said, whoa, man, right? The word woman means man-ish. She was taken out a man. She is a beautiful counterpart and a beautiful helper of man. I bet when Eve saw Adam, her reaction was equal to Adam. She was probably blown away as well. This truly was a marriage made in paradise. God the Father created two unique individuals that were perfect for each other. Men, you want to cause your wife's heart to take a few extra beat? Praise her with your words. Tell her that she is beautiful. Tell her that you love her more today than the day that you first met her. Praise her. Lift her up and encourage her. Now, I'm not a good husband. Okay, I'll be the first one to tell you that. All right. Many of you in this room have read the book by um, by Gary Chapman, um, the Five Love Languages. How many of you've read that book? Okay. All right. One person in this room has read that book. All right. But most of us probably know of the love languages: words of affirmation, physical touch receiving gifts, quality time, acts of service. I think my wife's love language is a little bit of all of those things. In fact, we talked um, um, about this message a little bit and and I asked her about that and she would agree that um, it's a little bit of all of those things. When it comes to words of affirmation, I think all of us can do a better job of working at that, right? Um, I think the greatest um, wordsmith of all times, is a man by the name of King Solomon. Y'all remember Solomon? He wrote Ecclesiastes as well as wrote the book um, Song of Solomon. And I want to share with you a few words that this great king shared to his wife. He said of his wife, he said of his wife's hair, well, it looks like a flock of goats. He said of his wife's teeth, your teeth are like freshly sharp horns or shorn sheep. He said of his wife's neck, it reminds me of an ivory tower. He said of his wife's nose, why it's just like the tower of Lebanon. Women, if you heard those words, what would you say? You probably wouldn't respond very well to that, right? Um, But in those days, apparently that was a compliment. Men don't share... With your wife, things from the um, Song of Solomon. Okay, don't do it because it's going to get you in more trouble than than not. Um, King Solomon was a smooth talker, but obviously, and obviously, he knew the way to his wife's heart. Again, let me encourage you to use modern language when praising your spouse. Next, we see here marriage involves faithfulness. In verse 24, we read, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Within this verse, we see three principles that are essential to a healthy marriage. The first thing that we see here is the word leave. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother. Even before there were children, even before there were parents, this instruction would be given to Adam and Eve. The new bride and groom, what are they to do? They are to leave their fathers and their mothers, and they are to, to, to cleave to one another. They are no longer to be dependent upon their parents, but they are to be dependent upon one another. You know, I've known many a marriage that has failed because this basic principle was not followed. Instead of working through a problem as husband and wife, one or both partners ran to mama and daddy, okay? So if you are a young person, don't run to mama and daddy. If you are a parent, don't embrace your sons and daughters when they come back and they unload on you everything negative about their spouse. What happens when this does occur? in-laws become outlaws, don't they? You want to cause your parents to turn against your spouse? Run to them and tell them everything that's wrong with your spouse. I promise you, your daddies already know everything that's wrong with the person that you married, right? We are called to leave our fathers and mothers not to return to them. Another key to healthy marriage is to hold fast and cleave. Again in verse 24 we read, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. To hold fast or to cleave is a picture of marital faithfulness. A husband and wife are joined together. They no longer live independent from one another. They no longer live with their parents. They no longer have a greater desire to hang out with their girlfriends or their buddies. Their desire is to spend time with their spouse. Now, that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be time that you hang out with other people, but it does mean that your spouse is your number one priority. They have a desire to hold fast to one another, to spend time with one another, and to joy, enjoy one another. As we see next, another key to a healthy marriage is oneness. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This right here is speaking of a one flesh union. I'm not going to give you a Song of Solomon sermon this morning because I'm not prepared for that. But... If you want to have a good marriage, then unity in marriage is essential. Physical unity, emotional unity, and spiritual unity. Think about it. You and I are body, soul, and spirit. And when body, soul, and spirit are united, then we are going to have a successful marriage. However, if any of these areas are out of balance, then there will be problems within our marriages. If one person has a wondering eye or becomes attached physically or emotionally to someone else, that right there can destroy a marriage. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27 through 28, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Adultery is not just committed when a person sleeps with someone other than their spouse. Adultery occurs when a person thinks with an intent to act. Keep your marriage vows and remain faithful physically, emotionally, and spiritually to your spouse. God brought the two of you together to literally change the world together. That begins in the home. Marriage also involves innocence. In verse 25 we read, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It is God's design that there be zero shame between a groom and his bride. Shame comes When couples do things outside of God's intended plans. God's plans have not changed, have they? Man and woman are to leave and cleave and become one. This occurs on the wedding night, not before. Husband and wives remain faithful to one another and keep yourself for your spouse. Now I know there is no perfect marriage because there is no perfect person, right? Some of us in this room have failed our spouses by not being the man or woman that God created us to be. Men, we have always um, not always probably been the spiritual leaders within our home that we know that God intends us to be. The only way we will be the spiritual leaders of our homes will be when we are growing in our relationship with one another. Let me encourage all of us in this room to make discipleship an, an, an integral part of your life. Grow individually, and grow as a couple as well. Now, I know that in this room, and I said this earlier, that there's some in here that are single. There's some in here that are single. Again, there are obviously some in this room that are married. For those that are married in this room, I've got some homework for you, okay? Larry Sherman, I've got some homework for you this morning, okay? Write write this down. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think to yourself, and rate your marriage from one to ten. One obviously being not real good, ten being perfect, okay? Probably don't have any perfect tens in this room, okay? Um, But what I want you to do is I want you to think about that, and then one day this week, I want you to sit down with your spouse, and I want you to talk about that number. Okay. If your number's a four, what I want you to talk about is how do we get this number from a four to a five? How do we get this number from a five to a six or or whatever it might be? That is your homework to do. There will be a test next week as well. Um, So take some time to do that. It's important that we grow in our relationship with one another. Um, I'm going to close with this you want to have a successful marriage, then here's 10 tips that I have for you. Number one is this. Build the foundation of your marriage upon the Word of God. God's Word needs to be the foundation on which your marriage is built upon. Put the Lord first in your marriage. Put your spouse second in your marriage. Put your kids third in your marriage. And don't get three and four reverse. Don't put your kids before your spouse. Because when you put your kids before your spouse, when your kids leave, you know who you're going to be left with? Your spouse. And and that may not be a good thing if you haven't cherished your spouse um, all the time. Number five, talk to each other. Number six, listen to each other. Communicate with one another. That is essential within a marriage. 7 learn or continue to date each other. Okay? That's important. Date each other. Go on a date at least once a month. If you can't do once a month, then then do it do it as frequently as you can. At least once a month. Try to do it weekly if you can or every other week. That's what drew you to your wife. That's where you got to know your spouse The most is when you were dating them. Continue to do that. Number um, eight, learn to forgive your spouse. That is essential as well. You have to learn to forgive, okay? You've got to learn to admit when you made a mistake, and both parties need to learn to forget as well. And number nine, guard your marriage from outside influences, okay? Don't have a wondering eye. Don't allow your eyes to view things online that you know they shouldn't view. Don't allow your eye to stray uh, to the right or to the left um, when you see someone walking by or whatever the case might be. And then also, pray with each other. I've shared this with you before. Danny and I have been married for almost 25 years. And there, when we haven't been... In the same room together, there's probably only been, um, you know, a handful or so times that we have not ended our day in prayer together. Prayer is the found, uh, really one of the foundations to the success of our marriage because we pray together, we 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 love the Lord together, and let me challenge you: if you have, if you don't pray with your spouse regularly begin to do that. There is nothing that will grow your relationship closer to the Lord or your spouse more than prayer. As we close this morning, just let's remember, marriage is a blessing and a gift from God. Do not take your spouse for granted. As some of you can attest, they will not always be with us, will they? Love them, cherish them, Honor them until death do you part. As we close this morning, I know that this message is um, one that's been a little bit different. Um, than, than normal. I don't know what your decision needs to be during this time of invitation. If you're here this morning and you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to repent of your sins and to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life. If you do that, man, that will be the greatest decision that you could ever make. And I will also promise you this, If you get Jesus right in your relationship, then your relationship with your spouse is going to change as well. You may be here this morning, and and just as a result of us walking through this passage together, man, you've realized that I haven't been the husband or I haven't been the wife that I know that I need to be. Let me encourage you during this time of invitation to pray to the Lord and ask him to make you into the man or woman that your bride or groom needs you Be. Let's stand together. I'm gonna lead us in a time of prayer. And if there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just again thanking you for the opportunity to be in your house. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for the gift of marriage. Father, um, for some, thank you for the gift of singleness, regardless of of, of the state in which we find ourselves, Father. Help us to be men and women that recognize that you are more than enough. You are more than enough to get us through each and every day. Father, for those of us in this room that are married, help us to be the husbands and the wives to our spouse that they so desperately need and that you intend for us to be, as your word tells us. Father, I pray now that if there's someone that does not have a relationship with you, that today will be the day of their salvation. Move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. There is a decision you need to make. You come, you come.